0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play-play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. ba da pa ba ba participating McDonald's for a limited time.
1: Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Every Tuesday right here, even in the new year, from Pro Football Focus, Brad Spielberger joins us. Hello, Brad, and Happy New Year to you. How are you?
2: Happy New Year. I'm doing well. How are you doing?
1: I want to start right here a little bit off the board. We'll get to the Colts in a second. But you and your colleagues at PFF, what, what is your insight, your intel, and your vision of Michael Penix Jr. under center in the NFL for the future?
2: Yeah, very interesting prospect. Obviously, you can't ignore you know the history there. I think he's torn both of his ACLs. He's had some kind of recurring shoulder issues. He's 24 years old, I want to say, or will be on draft day. So, you know, all those things do matter. Uh, I mean, he he started his first game in Indiana before. Uh, was I think it's like before Baker Mayfield threw an NFL pass? Penix is already starting in Indiana. So, look, he has his arm is extremely live. I mean, the guy can throw absolute lasers. Um, I do think the ball placement at times is not great, and is bolstered by the fact that Romo Dunze is a top 15 pick. Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan are both probably top 100 picks. So you know, he's a good player. He can be elusive at times, he's not going to scramble a ton, but you saw last night some of the pocket presence, you know, kind of, you know, moving laterally to create throwing windows, stuff like that. Long answer short, um, I think he's probably falling in that, that date uh, early day two range. Like maybe some team does say, you know what, we're going to take the risk. We're going to take him at the end of the first round. But I think it's more of a, Hey, we, 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 pass on the top guys. We're sitting here in the, you know, 35 to 55 range, and we're going to take a shot. That's where I have him personally. I think the PFF you know, consensus is kind of in that you know, 25 to 45 or so range.
1: How many, Brad, of those quarterbacks out there? I think we know a couple at least, but how many of those quarterbacks would go in front of him right now?
2: I think definitively right now you would say that the top three are going to be some order of Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels. And then I think it's going to get very interesting. Let's say hypothetically – J.J. McCarthy at Michigan returns to college football, which I think is going to happen. Um, I, I think he would go ahead of Phoenix, even though I know he didn't look good at all yesterday. But tools-wise, he, he is very talented, and he's you know, three years younger. Uh, and then Shadur Sanders, let's say he also goes back to Colorado. I think after the top three I mentioned, it's then, uh, is it going to be Bo Nix or Michael Phoenix? Bo Nix is the guy at Oregon. Um, who's going to be the fourth guy? I think it's between those two players.
1: Does the uh, in terms of Penix Jr. final thing about him too? Age and injury history. How big of a role does that play in all this?
2: It's huge. It's massive, right? Because obviously quarterbacks can play for a long time, and obviously guys have had injuries before. But I think it's more just about the you know the risk, right? Like I said, I think he's torn both ACLs, and also the shoulder stuff uh, might be even more concerning. It's like chronic shoulder things he's dealt with. He he mentioned last night in his post game interview, like or he got asked, "But hey, you thought about retiring and didn't like." He, he genuinely considered hanging up the cleats. So he obviously has, you know, a pretty lengthy history there. I think the easiest maybe analogy would be, and obviously a little bit different because Hendon Hooker got hurt during, you know, the last game of the season last year for Tennessee. And so he had, a, he had a torn ACL going into the draft process. So a little bit different, but similar scenario, older player, transferred to a, you know, a better situation, played in an offense that really played to his strengths and accentuated his strengths and kind of hid some of his weaknesses. Um, had two you know, wide receivers in Cedric Tillman and Dalen Hyatt that were both top 100 draft picks. And he went in, what is it, mid to late third round, I think, a panic because he's not hurt right now, um, you know, goes goes second round. But I think it's a pretty solid kind of analogy there between those two plays.
1: He is a Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I had said that there was no way that the Colts would win over six and a half games this season. And obviously that's what the odds had over underwise coming out of Vegas at the beginning. If you were... To have been told by somebody, me, you know, other knuckleheads, that the Colts would find themselves in this position, this situation, going into the final regular season weekend of the NFL campaign, would you have thought I or anybody else would have been crazy?
2: Yeah, I do. I, I think it's interesting. No, this is not the time to pat myself on the back when I'm wrong. I'm wrong, and I'm happy to admit it. I would have said more so because I had more faith in a bunch of other teams in the AFC. Um, But I actually did kind of sit back last year with Indy and say, like, there's still a lot of talent on this roster. They they just, you know, they need a change of coach. They got to figure things out at quarterback. But you look at them last season. They were literally dead last in the NFL in EPA per dropback. So just basically their efficiency as a passing offense, they were the worst in the NFL last year. And you had to think that'll regress positively in some manner. Um, and, And then, you know, just you had to figure the defense would get some steps up from, you know, Dale Dengbo was kind of flashing at the end of last year. Would he pay has stride some So, look, I, I probably would have thought you were crazy, but I think for me personally more so because I just thought that, you know, games against the AFC North and games against other teams across the conference, I would have said, yeah, they're going to lose a lot of these games. Like, if you told me they beat Baltimore, I'd say you're the craziest person on earth. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: and Brad Spielberger joins us. Well, what is the, the most outlandish-slash-craziest playoff scenario that – you, you believe in going into this final weekend of the regular season what stands out i guess to you brad
2: i think would be a funny one an insane one would be so if the bills lose to miami and pittsburgh beats um baltimore who is playing backups it sounds like so it's very possible and then i think jacksonville would need to beat tennessee which i don't think we should see as a foregone conclusion at all um, then the bills would not make the playoffs, right? So the, the bills could win and get the two seed or they could lose and miss the playoffs entirely without it being that crazy of a scenario. Cause I do think Pittsburgh is going to win. And obviously Jacksonville could beat Tennessee, but frankly I think it's the most obvious Mike Vrabel spoiler spot of all time. So that's <laughs> probably the craziest scenario I see. Cause Buffalo would be out of the playoffs as probably right now, a top three, four team in the NFL, <laughs>
1: What would you make of the AFC South, considering Jacksonville's situation and that matchup with Tennessee coming up this week? What do you you make of – let's just say worst-case scenario happens to Jacksonville. What do you make of the entirety of the situation, and especially that with that team and Doug Peterson as they would move into the offseason?
2: I mean, I think it would be a bit catastrophic just because, you know, I do think going forward now, potential-wise, as crazy as this might sound – uh, the AFC South has essentially been the best division in football. If all these quarterbacks pan out um, and, and play really well, and, and just because the infrastructure a lot of them have in place, like I like all the coaches in the division now, um, it would look really, really bad. I know they've had injuries, you know, the offensive line, Trevor Lawrence, obviously, Christian Kirk now recently, but but I still just don't know if that's an excuse because they've invested so much on that defense, and I know they just blanked the Carolina Panthers, but I mean the underwhelming nature and, and just the you know, how bad their defense was the last six, eight weeks is, is catastrophic. I mean, it, it, they deserve not to be in the playoffs based on just that side of the ball alone. Um, and obviously the offense hasn't been great either. So, fun division going forward. I think the potential to be stellar. Uh, I don't think John Peters is going to get fired or anything. But I, I think maybe Trent Balky the general manager, gets fired made a bunch of luxury picks. Uh, I mean, you're drafting your third tight end in the second round. You drafted a backup running back who doesn't even play anymore in the third round. I mean, basically just wasted a draft class. And and you weren't there yet roster-wise to think that way.
1: Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Some of the worries and very exciting times here, don't get me wrong, but some of the worries that the Colts fans have right now is certainly about that secondary, which puts certainly a great deal of pressure and the onus on what they have up front for continuous QB pressure of C.J. Stroud coming up on Saturday night. What did you take away from this group with Aiden O'Connell pulling the trigger. And here's why I bring this up from Sunday is because he couldn't do anything, especially in the second half against Kansas City. Now, they didn't put him in those situations they still won that game in Kansas City he threw for almost 300 yards against the Colts in that secondary on Sunday losing the game but looked much better looked like a good quarterback how much of that is a result of that Colts secondary and how concerning is that secondary to you going into Saturday night against Houston
2: yeah, it's a big part of it, unfortunately. I mean, I do think Kansas City may have one of the best pass defenses in the entire NFL, um, but but the Colts, you know, it's good that Kenny Moore is coming back, it sounds like, for this game. But the outside corners, you know, again, there's there's potential for growth. I like what I've seen from Juju Brent, but it, it's concerning. And, you know, the guys they have playing outside, I and mean, then you lose Julian Blackman, who has kind of underratedly been that rover down the box, more so than the deep third free safety in years past, And I actually think, it's a role that suited him really well. He's a former corner in college. So he saw him sometimes kick out to the slot or, or carry tight ends and whatnot on occasion. And I think it's why he had so much ball production um, and made a lot of splash plays, even if there were some negatives, it's, too. It's concerning because CJ Stroud, I'll tell you, CJ Stroud played a lot better than his box score this past weekend, and his box score was fine. Um, they just were up so, uh, so much early and kind of stopped throwing. Nico Collins and C.J. Stroud could do what Devontae Adams did, um, you know, uh, against the secondary as well.
1: What do you make of Gardner Minshew throughout the course of the year? I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I'm really hesitant to get into the future uh, offseason conversation right now because the Colts are still playing and, and, and still representing in the present. But to me, there was no way in the world this offseason you would attempt to do anything else at your backup quarterback, given the circumstances of Anthony Richardson. You have Gardner Minshew there this coming year and for the foreseeable future just like you did this past. Year. Certainly to you, he has significantly played himself this season into that continued role, right? 100%.
2: You know, I think he is a quality backup and and maybe pushes himself to borderline price himself out, but I think he also probably understands, you know, like, okay, someone could give me the Taylor Heineke two years 14 elsewhere, or I could take two years 10 to return to play with Shane Steichen, know the offense, know the system, continue to help this young quarterback grow. And I don't know. I, I'm not going to speak for a guy in his money. I think he's the type of person that would, that would take that second opportunity and second chance and just like trust the process. He obviously followed for a reason to the Colts in the first place. You know, I don't have any questions of like, should he be a starter? there's nothing like that for me. You know, with all due respect, he's a good backup. I, I just, you see, you know, on a week to week basis, he's not going to be a starter in this league, but yeah, I would pay top end backup money for him. I think he had a phenomenal year. Given all he was asked to do, um, and if I'm Indy, I am willing to spend a little bit extra to keep him, especially because you have the rookie contract quarterback. Like that's a benefit, and I'm sure he's good good in the the quarterback room and and helping him learn. Because I'll tell you right now, he makes the most of his athletic ability, and that has to suggest that he you know sees the field well or knows how to identify coverages, how to call out protections, all of these things that you know Anthony Richardson certainly needs help to grow in. So yeah, long answer short. You know, maybe someone does offer him more than I'm willing to do. But if I said okay, I can pay you know one year three million, kind of what his deal was for an unknown, or I'm going to have to you know step up and pay him two years ten, I probably do it.
1: So, Brad Spielberger joins us. What type of market would he find this off season around the so, NFL? I guess.
2: Yeah. So if you do talk to agents around the league, there is I think going to be an adjustment to backup quarterbacks where. And also, guys that are kind of like starter potential players. I mean, Baker Mayfield will sign a similar deal. Uh, you know, one year, I think it was three and a half or four million, kind of similar to Gardner. And he was, you know, they said there was a quarterback c- competition, there wasn't. He was the unquestioned starter coming into Tampa. I think those type of players are going to sign stronger deals because it's just this was the year of the backup quarterback. And so many of them had to play. And I think so many of them showed you know, obviously a drop-off from an elite quarterback to one of those guys is fairly steep. But the drop-off of, hey, your starter is a is from, you know, 15 to 25 range, I'm not that this massive drop-off from that guy. Maybe my ceiling is lower and I can't ascend and become a better player, but I can win you football games and provide a lot of value. But if you look around the league in terms of how many teams, like, are going to be desperate to kind of make a splash for a quarterback of Gardner's, you know, like caliber, I don't see as many, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to probably, you know, I think five guys go in the top 50 in the draft. Like I mentioned, I think Kirk Cousins of a strong market. Russell Wilson probably still has a couple teams that'll kind of, you know, ask around and look for a discount on it for his services because he has these massive offsets from Denver and then, like, right there, the list is already kind of short for you. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it could be a stronger backup deal in the, you know, two years 15 as opposed to one year three. Um, but, but I don't see, you know, he's not going to get some, like, Teddy Bridgewater going to Carolina post New Orleans. I think it would be a good comparison. Like, what was that, 363? Like, that market's not there in, in my eyes. Um, I think it just goes from, you know, like, paying a backup to, to be there to spending extra on a backup because he provides assurances and stability.
1: Yeah, it, it's. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Back in the era of Manning here, um, people like me didn't really worry about the backup quarterback because you knew with, with that quarterback and those expectations, uh, if something happened, your season basically was over. But we have seen com- a complete changing of the guard right now as far as how a lot of teams are going to deal with that that backup quarterback and the quality in which Brad they're looking for. And, and this year, I think, is is probably the shining beacon of that through the years we have seen of the past.
2: I think what happened was we we've realized more in today's NFL. You can make your offense less quarterback-reliant and, and can manufacture more positive gains and make things more kind of quarterback-agnostic. Now, of course, you're still going to be elevated by having a better player at that position, and there's always going to be the 8 to 10 guys that are kind of in their own echelon, that are guys you win because of, not because, not, you know, win with, all that stuff. Um, I know that you're kind of alluding to the Tom Moore quote. Uh, you know, yeah. I won't say it on the, on the radio airwaves, of course. But, um, <laughs> like, that, that's kind of a thing of the past because they just asked those guys to do so, so much. Um, and, and it was, the drop off was steeper to backup quarterbacks back then. Now, because you have the dual threats and, and, and different ways to approach offense, I think the drop off is not quite as steep, and it's a bit of a different environment.
1: So Brad Spielberger, PFF with us. Of course, Saturday night, Texans and the Colts, and the winner goes to the postseason. The loser stays home, and Brad's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So their first meeting of the season won by the Colts. Uh, Anthony Richardson played, went out with an injury. Gardner Minshew came in, ended up winning the game. Uh, There was no Jonathan Taylor yet. There was still Tank Dell as a part of the receiving core of Houston. There was um, certainly a lot of similarities, but uh, then there are also some that that did not take part or did take part that no longer can. How you size up that initial meeting in comparison with what you expect coming up on Saturday night here?
2: Yeah, I think one of the big things that jumps out to me is that the first month of the season, Houston had one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. They're now one of the best run defenses in the entire league for the whole year. I mean, they are – top five in pretty much every rushing metric. And I mentioned EPA success rate, you know, just, just more traditional stats, you know, things of that nature. They've gone from being, it being a weak link to being, you know, a, a massive, massive strength. And so whether it's Jonathan Taylor or whoever, you know, I think early in the year you felt, okay, we can get ourselves in second and short, third and short, get some third and manageable opportunities because of our run game. That really isn't a given against this current iteration of the Houston, Texas defense. So, that's the biggest change. Obviously, CJ Stroud has seen a whole lot more, played a whole lot more defenses. You kind of know what you're getting from, Gus Bradley, but he has been different. This year. He's mixed up coverages more than the last three or four years, no question about it. Um, but, yeah, I think I, on the whole, the teams are relatively similar than they were in that first matchup. I, I was kind of pulling this, looking for this particular question. The only thing that jumped out was that evolution of Houston's run defense going from really bad to really, really good.
1: Well, and the – Others are right now saying, well, wait a minute, Brad. What about the evolution of your rookie quarterback? But he was good in that game, too. So he, he was good in that game, much like yeah. he has been for the most part this season.
2: No question about it. And Tank Dell is a massive loss. Like, I know he's a rookie, but – uh, he was really coming along strong, and, and, and was a focal point of that offense. They were starting to actually have plays in the game plan for him, uh, you know, like designed, manufactured touches to get him the ball, as opposed to you know, hey, go out there and run, run a simplified route tree, and, and you'll be the kind of a you know an, an outlet beyond the Nico Collins, Robert Woods, etc. Like he was becoming a, a, a you know a real, real focal point. But yeah, Stroud Stroud has been good all year, no question about it.
1: Here's the thing that concerns me. And you, you brought this up a little bit, too. But in that first meeting, Nico Collins, seven receptions, 146. He was tough to contain by this Colts team. And then you, you fast forward now, and he's obviously somebody without tank Dell, that you know that is going to be a major focus of C.J. Stroud and the Texans offense, but then you saw on Sunday a guy that was a major focus in terms of the Raiders and Devontae Adams, and you knew that the Colts needed to blanket him, try to take him away, and they struggled in every single capacity in doing that. I guess the Nico Collins, if you look at his situation and what he's able to do and his focus, and if the Colts can contain him... And that again—that's the biggest question I would have. I think going into Saturday night, right now.
2: I'm with you too. And the big thing, though, is you know you still have the Colts leading the NFL on Cover Three. You know the single high coverage—that's what Gus Bradley likes to do. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but Bobby Slow looking this Houston Texans offense knows how to attack the seams, attack the flats. They'll throw to their tight ends. They'll throw to their running backs. They'll you know manufacture touches again near the line of scrimmage for Robert Woods even for Nico Collins at times as well. Um, and I just know how to attack the weak spots of a single high coverage defense. And then, as I mentioned, you add in the injuries to some important pieces there, like a Blackman who I think would be great for kind of limiting some of their, their stuff over the middle. They attack a lot over the middle, a lot of crossing routes, mesh concepts, all these various things that I think he was becoming a really strong suit of this defense. Obviously, Kenny Moore is going to play a lot in that capacity as well. And it's good to get him back. But yeah, like matchup wise, team wise, Um, It it does present some challenges, and then like you said, just like player-to-player matchup-wise, it also uh, has some cause for concern.
1: I know that you've been talking about it and writing about it, Brad. Before I let you go here, some other things going into this final regular season weekend, and whether it's a playoff scenario or just team scenarios in general, like what's going on with the Eagles, for example. What's going on with the Lions, considering you know what took place in that game on, on Saturday night and how that worked out for them compared to the Cowboys. Some things you're going to be looking at and interested in going into this final week. Again.
2: yeah you know we talked about some of the playoff scenarios the eagles maybe losing out on the division considering their start it is pretty wild um the nfc i think is fascinating too you have chicago is basically in the exact same scenario as the, the lions were last year they start one and five they slowly turn things around and then kind of come on really strong to end the year they're going to an eight and eight green bay football team if they win the game they're in the playoffs if they lose it opens the door for the Seattle Seahawks, who's actually the exact same team uh, that, that could benefit from a Bears win. Like, that's going to be fascinating. And the last thing for me, too, is the odds that we get Matthew Stafford going to Detroit in, in a six-versus-three matchup are very, very high with with the Cowboys-Lions result now. And I think that's going to be – I mean, like talk about just goosebumps, him running out on the field of Detroit, I, I think it's going to be incredible.
1: All right, what are you writing about, by the way?
2: Yep. so I'm still – we're not there yet. I know we're in Indy. We're focused on the playoffs, but I'm, I'm all about free agency right now. We have top 100 free agents out there. There are some Colts, Grover Stewart, Julian Blackman, Kenny Moore, Michael Pittman, um, definitely a lot of guys on the team to focus on. And, of course, some guys to maybe sign in free agency. Colts are top ten, I think mean top five in cap space this year. I know they don't make a ton of splashes, but, you know, Samson Edelcam was a guy we loved last year and thought that was a phenomenal finding. Uh, so, yeah, th- th- I know we're still focused on 2023. Uh, But as soon as the calendar turns to 2024, I'm your guy at BFF.com. Hey,
1: prediction-wise, what is your prediction on the AFC South and how it looks at the end of the weekend?
2: I think the Tennessee Titans are going to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. Unfortunately, I think the Houston Texans are going to beat the Indianapolis Colts, uh, and I think we're going to get Texans as the four seed, and then I guess Pittsburgh would would sneak in. So you get – really quick, you get what, Baltimore – um, I'll go: ba- Baltimore, Buffalo, Kansas City, Houston, Cleveland, uh, Miami, and Pittsburgh.
1: So you're not thinking the Colts are going to win the division, huh? Uh,
2: unfortunately, I just, <laughs> I just don't want this matchup against Houston. I wish, I like, – hey, like I said at the top of the show, I've never get a lot of the people. Always going to be honest. Not going to play, play no, the. No, that's okay. Hope, that's okay. I hope I'm wrong. Hey, I hope I'm wrong for all the <laughs> listeners out there that are you know cursing my name. Uh, but I, I do think Houston's going to pull it out. Did uh, Did
1: anybody at PFF have the Colts winning the division this year?
2: I I would promise you that they did not. Man, I don't know it's <laughs> on my head, but I'm I'm confident in saying that.
1: All right, <laughs> uh, man, it's always a pleasure. We'll see how this thing sorts out and talk at you next Tuesday.
2: Sounds great. Have a good one.
1: Raise a spoon to Grandma,
0: who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: Andy Moore, automotive group, Potline. He never disappoints. Bob BobKravitz.com, writer, extraordinaire, friend of this show, music enthusiast Bob Kravitz joins us <laughs> now. Happy New Year to you, Bob. Same to you, my
3: friend. Hope all is well.
1: How was uh, New Year with Jake Query on New Year's Eve? It was
3: good. Uh, me and uh, Shannon uh, yep. and, and Jake, uh, we went out to uh, see our friend Michael play. He plays for the Elect. Uh, the band uh, we saw him at uh, the slippery noodle had a great old time uh, i did not cut a rug but i watched a lot of other people uh <laughs> dance and uh it was great fun had a good time
1: ah, good good for you celebrating the new year with with jake query and shannon is always a good time i'm assuming can't go wrong
3: it was it was
1: hey um i just got to ask this question I don't want to be disappointed on Saturday. I don't want to be disappointed going into Sunday or disappointed in talking about it on Monday. Uh, How would you, and I I hate to start with a negative right here, but what would your reflection of the season be if they were to lose out on this opportunity and lose to Houston Saturday night?
2: Well,
3: I mean, obviously it would be a shame to come this far and to do all the good things they've done this season and, and not be able to finish the job. That said... I'm in a little bit different position than you are. Um, I, th- I think they're playing with house money at this point. You know, I-, I think they have gone far, far beyond any reasonable expectations to start the season with the Jonathan Taylor situation and then to lose Richardson, uh, have what, seven, eight guys suspended or put on the, uh, on the commissioner's list. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of times in this season when things could have gone south, and yet they've they've somehow they've somehow fashioned a really good season out of it. So yeah, it would be it would be disappointing. I'd love to cover a, another playoff game. I, I think that would be that would be awesome, but um, I wouldn't be. Uh, crestfallen, I guess would the word would be. I'm going to have to look that
1: uh, up. Hold on a second. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah,
3: okay. Uh, we got a minute. Go, go right ahead. <laughs> no, uh, I, I wouldn't be bummed, to, you know, if, if they lost terribly. I mean, I look, in a big game, I tend to think the team with the, with the better quarterback is going to win. And while I think Minshew has been very good this season – I look at, at C.J. Stroud, and I see a guy who's, who's a stud. And it's an offensive line that's not as beat up as it was the first time when the Colts – I think they had six sacks in that first game, something like that. So, you know, if you're asking me who's going to win, I guess I would take Houston. Love to see the Colts win it. I think they, they, they've had an amazing season.
1: So, Bob Kravitz, BobKravitz.com with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I guess, to a degree, there would be a lot more conversation if they weren't in this situation mm-hmm. about these suspensions and uh, some of the, how should I put it, dumbassery that's going on with this team in that right. capacity over the past six or so months. I, I, I know that's... A, going to be a conversation for a different day, but but how would you start to write about that if, again, the Colts were not in this win-and-you're-in situation on Saturday?
3: Well, I mean, from a distance, it looks like things are a little out of control. But, you know, uh, I mean, the gambling stuff, you have no control over. The the PED uh, situation with Grover and the other guy, um, that's that's on them, you know? Um I'm still incredibly curious to know what what Brown and McKenzie did to uh, inspire that that sort of uh, that sort of penalty. Did you see
1: McKenzie get um, active on X? I think it was yesterday that it said it wasn't the eagle thing, as in bald eagle well, thing
3: eagle thing i, I have now, no idea
1: somebody and i always thought that it was just kind of a stupid internet thing to start with but somebody had put out there that uh, he was involved in uh, shooting a bald eagle <laughs> and then everybody kind of ran with it
3: <laughs> oh man was it was, was it while he was uh Snowboarding with Andrew Locke? I mean, who? In, yeah. Good heavens! I, I had not heard that, my man. I, yeah,
1: that was. I, I had
3: not heard. It
1: and, and then it, it kind of morphed. morphed it, it morphed into up. like a caramel joke about Canadian geese, and then I don't. You just have people that still kind of believed it, and and, and I guess this, I, oh. people people will t- people are dumb. To start with, at times uh, we have seen, but people tend to agree with that too because there has been zero transparency as to why zero. those two players were dealt with in the fashion in which they were.
3: And they weren't messing around. And I will I will say this, and I mentioned it in my in the, in the report card uh, yesterday. Um, the uh, level of accountability with this team it used to be a daycare center, and the level of accountability that I've seen under Steichen has been raised dramatically. Um, you know, I mean, some of this stuff was, you know, the league was, you know, the, was a league thing, but you know, the rest of the regular season, not getting paid. I mean, this must've been pretty bad. I, the Eagle thing sounds funny to me. What did Tony Brown do? Cook it up. I mean, (laughs) I,
1: I mean, the the only thing that I'd I'd heard again, and nobody will will concretely substantiate this that there was uh there was a back and forth between the two in a locker room. <laughs> That's the only thing I've heard that I could could. Everything else has been kind of like fodder for Twitter and X or yeah. social media and whatever.
3: Well, I will say this: we when and one of my greatest regrets is, you know, we kept hearing the stories about Andrew Luck and snowboarding, and we just. We just poo pooed it because we thought that's the dumbest thing we've, we've ever heard. And damned if it wasn't true. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. I'm still pissed off at myself and all, all my, my uh, colleagues that nobody thought to say to Andrew, hey, what, what is the deal here? We just assumed it was nonsense. And there, there's a good journalism uh, lesson here. If you hear something, ask about it. There have been two things
1: in the past that I have shot down at the moment. Actually, I didn't shoot this one down, but Tony Donahue had heard from an Uber driver at the very beginning about this, uh, who who had said to Tony that while Tony was in his Uber that a Colts player was in there and mentioned that about luck to him and then the right. other one, before I, the day before I went on vacation, the final hour and this goes back to when Brad Stevens was announced he was leaving Butler for the Celtics head coaching job somebody called Tony Donahue on this show 10 minutes before the news broke and said it was going to happen and I said man Tony, I'm not going to be wrong about this and go on vacation and have everybody ripping me so let's just right. wait and then 10 minutes later it came to fruition so
3: two things uh, tony freaking donahue huh
1: he's a man about town that's what happens when he you're is, the man about is. town i
3: guess they, i guess it makes sense to, <laughs> to, to to be out and about and get get these scoops well, uh, maybe i need to get out of the house more
1: in in the past though when you're thinking about let's just say for example using brown and mckenzie here that that stuff would have already leaked out like 90 different ways yeah
3: yeah and, and, and oh, with this absolutely. group it, it hasn't if, if Schefter hasn't had it, or Ian Rapport, it ain't coming out. I'm just telling you. I believe me. I've asked everybody I know down there, uh, what what is the deal here? And I'm getting a bunch of hey, you know, can't talk about it. I mean, this thing is buttoned up. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The, sure. the culture in a winning winning situation and I can't wait till Saturday.
1: Me either. Going to be a great time downtown. Bob Kravitz at bobkravitz.com. It's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I'll get to the paces with you in a second, but a little bit more on this matchup, winning your end scenario with the Texans. I asked Brad Spielberger a PFF, this earlier. I'll ask you the same thing. Is there anything that you take away from that first meeting won by the Colts that you can put to relate to, connect to, this final regular season weekend matchup Saturday?
3: Not really. I, I just think, you know, look, uh, rookies aren't rookies anymore. Uh, you know, even though Stroud played really well that first game, put up some big numbers, he's not the same guy. They've got a their their offensive line, from what I understand, is intact. If you remember, if you remember that game early in the season, I believe four out of five of their offensive linemen were out, and the Colts just fed off that. I mean it, it was a feeding frenzy at the quarterback. So I don't think I I, I think, you know, if you had played them in week fourteen and, and you're playing them again now, yeah, I think there's there's stuff that you could you could take from it. But we're talking about what was it, the second game of the season? Yeah. Something like that. Something the
1: second uh, or third, one of the two. Third maybe, I Yeah. Think. yeah.
3: So I, I just I, I think they're completely different teams and the one thing that I, I think is going to be key to the whole thing, John, is they have got to get the pass rush going again against Houston because uh, they, they have got to protect the back end. You look at that secondary. I mean, Aiden O'Connell threw for 299 yards. Devontae uh, Adams had a big day. Um, they are third in the league in um, uh, uh, explosive pass plays. So that will be pass plays of over 25 yards. They're third in the league. So they have got to get pressure on this guy or they're going to get torn up because I, I'm really afraid. Now, you assume Kenny Moore will be back, so that's going to help. But you've got a lot of youth back there.
1: This has been or going to be the best quarterback the Colts have seen since? Oh. Question mark. Oh.
3: Wow. Uh well, Baker Mayfield was playing pretty well when they ran into him, but uh, and he didn't play that great that day. But, gosh, I'd have to go back and look at the schedule. But, I mean, they have faced – let's be honest. They faced a lot of backups and a lot of rookies and a lot of backup reviews. You know, I mean, it's not been a, a killer schedule. But that's, that's the way the NFL is set up. You have a bad season like they had last year. And you know, this is what's so cool about the NFL is that last year these two teams played in the final game of the regular season, and the only real question was could Houston find a way to lose and get the number one pick. And with help from the Colts, they screwed that up, and then then they got eternally fortunate by uh, getting uh, by getting Stroud. Um, I, I I think you know uh it, it, it's what makes the nfl so cool is it's very, unless you're a jets fan you have hope virtually every year
1: yeah and uh that's what you, that's what you got you got we thought 2 weeks ago was a big saturday night and then you combine you know that and and think what we went through then and how fun that was and yeah. times 10 coming up this saturday night
3: hey let me let me ask you a quick question yeah. what channel was the pacers game on last night
1: uh as far as television? Yeah. It was on uh, Ballet
3: Sports Indiana. I didn't, I couldn't get it. I what? I read I read every story this morning because I knew I was going to be on and I knew that we'd be talking about yeah. it. But I could not for the life of me find it anywhere yesterday.
1: Yeah, I found it in the normal spot, which I don't know what channel. It's like I go 671 and then one of the uh well, I, the sub stations of 671 games, right there. So
3: it's like- I have YouTube TV, so it's a separate, separate app. I don't understand all that stuff. But all I know is I went to my usual spot, and and it wasn't on. But uh, apparently, based on everything I read, uh, they played just a dynamic game. Best uh,
1: game of the season. Uh, Best win of the season, I thought, considering the circumstances, location, and all that.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, you, you wonder how they're going to head into – the February 8th trade trade deadline, because the, the, things are things are uh, coming along well. This team is growing. They had that one stretch there where they struggled after the uh, in season tournament, but boy, I I don't want to lose anybody. I like this team. I mean, I think Buddy is probably going to get moved because of his contract, but you know, I, I I hate to lose any of them because uh, I like. I like the chemistry here. You know,
1: I, I kind of wonder, after Ananobi got moved from Toronto to New York, and I, I'm sure there are other options out there that we won't even discuss, but, you know, your right. garden variety would have included him and, and Siakam also of Toronto. You, you kind of wonder, as you start to whittle this down, the opportunities that will present themselves as we get closer to the trade deadline.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the thing with Siakam – And I might be uh, misstating this, but there's something in his contract where uh, there was a date that just passed and it's going to be very difficult. It's basically, if you trade for Siakam at this point, it's going to be a rental. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a rental. And and I just, I just don't see them being willing to move Ben Matherin uh, or any of those guys for, for a rental for a team that's gonna, you know, best case scenario, finish what fourth, fifth, sixth uh, in the East, and you know how how deep are they? Re- you know, to me, you get a rental if you think you're close to winning a championship.
1: No, I I completely agree. It is um, yeah. it's a weird. I, I want them, by, I want them to go for it, but I want them to also be savvy while going for it. If that makes sense, right. Like it, well, when you're, you're talking about, you you don't want to go. I, I think you can go as much as you can go. Too little on this, I think you can also go too far on this. Um, so I I would agree with that.
3: Well, I mean, look, uh, I think yield is somebody you can move. I I, I think I like, I like Bruce Brown, and I think he's going to figure it out with this team. But um, he's you know twenty three million dollars a year. I don't see him coming back next year. Uh, necessarily, so um, they, they've got people they can move. You know, Ben Matherin, I'd hate to move off of him in any form or fashion because I think he's starting to get it, and he played great last night. Yeah. From what I understand, yeah,
1: they're not going. To, they're, they're not going to do that. I just, I don't see. I don't see the options that they have right now, I guess, that others others do. So I, I just I yeah. look, and, and you're, you're right about Buddy Heald, I'm sure, but the reason why you're right about Buddy Heald right now is because he hasn't shot the ball that well recently. And you may feel that way about T.J. McConnell at times, but you saw how magnified the presence of McConnell was again last night coming off of that bench. So I just, I think that you've got guys that make up this equation to what we have seen from a positive from this Colts team. And if you take them away, I think all of a sudden that becomes a detriment that I, I think you would struggle make it up for. I do in some capacity. Uh, so,
3: yeah, no, I look, I, I, I could see moving heel just because of his contract situation. And if he's not shooting the ball at a really high clip, there's not a lot more that he offers and besides being a great teammate and being a really good guy. Um, you know, I, I think that Carlisle would be uh, – uh, Carlisle would, would off himself if he had to lose McConnell. He loves himself some T.J. McConnell. Yeah.
1: I I just – I wonder – at the end of it all, if it's going to be one of these players, like we saw how many years ago with with Wes Matthews Jr., where you know they're cut and then that's how you right. rent them for the remainder of the season, as opposed to being being a trade. I'm, I'm curious about this. Was was there any thought by the NBA of of moving that seven o'clock start at all with the NFL jumping in and jumping on top of them with that game? I don't,
3: I don't know, but I, I would tend to doubt it. I mean, the NFL is King Kong. You know, uh, I mean, the NFL is going to do what it's going to do, and I, I just, I, we've had this in the past, and usually the NBA doesn't doesn't uh, make any changes in its uh, its schedule. So, and from what I understand, there was there wasn't any talk of it, but I, I don't know for sure.
1: I think it's cool as hell to be honest. I, and I'm sure that yeah. the Pacers, if you were to ask them, honestly, they probably wouldn't think it's as cool as hell as I would. But right. I, I think the whole, right. the whole image of the city and what's going to be going on. And I think Jim Irsay tweeted about this earlier, 85,000 fans downtown uh, with, you know, the Celtics in town and then the big game at Lucas oil stadium. That's pretty cool to me.
3: Yeah. Oh, it, it's going to be great. It's uh I mean, this, this is such a cool sports town. It just is.
1: So, Bob Kravitz, BobKravitz.com. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Tyrese Halliburton, he has been Eastern Conference Player of the Week. He had a phenomenal week from all areas, did he not?
3: He was unbelievable. And, you know, we, we talked, I wrote about this, and he hit that stretch where teams were were really focused in on him, uh, they were doubling them. They were blitzing them. They were moving him to the other side of the floor because you know he likes the right side of the floor. So they're trying to get him to go left. Um, he he's just been phenomenal. I mean, I I can't think of another player who's come in here and had this kind of impact. Talking Pacers in, in such a short time. I mean, you think you know it? it I guess Oladipo. You know. But uh, that's, that's about as close as I can come. I mean, this guy has just been a superstar. It's, it's been unbelievable. And, and, and he's just getting better. You know,
1: this is what stands out to me. Um, we, we talk about all the time in sports, the, the me guys or the I guys. He, he's, he's an I guy in terms of this. He always starts with, I have to be better. I have to be better on the floor. I have to lead better. I didn't have a good quarter. I didn't have a great hat. He always starts with himself in talking about those situations where things didn't go right, or or you lose yeah. a game, or and and that's I, I can't remember anybody, and, and maybe this changes, you know, maybe that thought process changes when he's answering questions night in and night out. But I can't remember somebody that always took the blame as much. As he does regarding oh, yeah. a loss he, or a bad performance? He,
3: he said recently, uh, or a couple weeks ago, he said, I've been trash. I've been turning the ball yeah. over. I just pray this guy doesn't change. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. You know, and especially, especially after the Ola Depot situation, where uh, I thought that he changed more than any professional athlete I've ever come across personally. Uh, he was one person. And then he hit stardom, and everything changed. I, I hope that it doesn't. Uh, I don't think that it will. You know, I mean, Tyrese likes to play. I mean, the whole thing with Wally Zerbiak uh, the other night. You know, he's like, "Check me out." Um, but I, there, there's no, there's no meanness to him. You know, I mean, he's just, he just seems like a really. Good guy. He's the kind of guy you'd like to have a beer with.
1: Yeah, what else? Hugh is uh, Wally Zerbia. I thought Wally Zerbia handled uh, that as well as you could. I mean, he just owned he it. Did. He just owned the entire he thing. Did. Said, you know what? Yeah, he I, told his dad, you know, this was not my finest hour when I said that.
3: Right. Yeah, and Wally's a good guy. He's a New York guy, Long Island. So, you know, we'll give him a break. But uh, no, he, uh, I guess it was in, uh, I, I, I only saw it in uh, Scott Agnes' story. So good for him. Uh, he talked to Wally, and Wally was great. He acknowledged that he got emotional, and you know that happens. You know, especially if you are uh, getting your paycheck from the the team you're you're uh, talking about. You know, you're gonna get emotional, and you'll be you're gonna be a homer. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that uh, Halliburton is uh, on the cusp of superstardom, and. Uh, if you give me a choice, I, I like I like Brunson too, but give me Halliburton. 10
1: days out of 10. It's uh, Bob Kravitz, bobkravitz.com. You can find his work right there. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Boilermakers on the road tonight at Maryland. Butler on the road tonight at St. John's. Big Ten, Big East play. IU starts, or restarts in this case, the Big Ten campaign tomorrow night at 9 on the road at Nebraska. Three things about those three teams and the start of conference season for all three again.
3: Well, I mean, Butler, I haven't seen a ton of Butler, but uh, what I have seen, um, they, you know, Fad Mata has got them playing really good basketball. Um, I saw where Joe, where Joe Lenardi had them, like, first team out, which is meaningless at this time of the season, but it's always fun to look at. Um, IU scares me to death. You know, I mean, I'm not going to pass judgment on them until – we see them with, with Xavier with Xavier Johnson you know uh, i, I want to see what they look like with him back there you know in the backcourt starting um, but man they can't they can't stop anybody from shooting threes what did didn't Kennesaw have like 17 threes
1: yeah everybody has about 17 threes yeah that's been an issue it
3: seems that yeah. way so yeah and as far as as far as purdue goes it's going to be they're they're going to cruise through the big 10 i realize they lost the northwestern uh there's always that slip up but uh, i just think this is going to be a a really special season for purdue so bob kravitz
1: bob kravitz.com what's your latest
3: well i got the dopey report card out there i'm uh writing about gardner Minshew uh sometime tomorrow and uh Looking forward to Saturday night. It's going to be a late one.
1: Do you want to, Jake, talk about, and I noticed this with the new Indy 11 park that they're building. They are uh, unearthing uh, bits and pieces of of bodies, given that back in the day was a cemetery. The reason I bring it up is because Jake was the first person I ever heard talk about that. And it sounds like like a poltergeist situation happening
3: over there. (laughs) (laughs) Poltergeist situation. Yeah, yeah. uh... I, I I have not done a lot of deep research into this. I'm sure that <laughs> I thought Jake, Jake would have brought it up on New Year's kind of Eve or something like that. Jake didn't bring it up on New Year's Eve. No, strangely <laughs> enough. no we were we were grooving man. We were just listening to the music. My friend Michael played uh, uh, Springsteen's Atlantic City. It was a great rendition. Nice. so I just just wanted to mention that.
1: Awesome. Bob Kravitz of BobKravitz.com with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Crew Potline. We will see you up in the press box on what should be a very fun Saturday night. Bob, I appreciate you. All
3: right. Thanks, buddy. It's so Bob
1: care. Kravitz of BobKravitz.com.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participating McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. It is a new year on a Tuesday at 3 30 with uh, Greg Rakestraw. Hello, Greg. How are you?
4: I'm good. How was the uh, big old takeover party yes. on Sunday night?
1: We got a uh, first time call from Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, at about 11 o'clock on Sunday I mean, once evening.
4: He called him like, well, I can't be the best broadcaster to call this show. I'm going to bag it. So
1: <laughs> He calls in and wants Earth, Wind, and Fire boogie wonderland so we got that and a bit of a larceny bourbon double shot power with uh, let's groove followed by brothers johnson and stomp so we went uh, back to back to back very funk worthy tunes courtesy the voice of the hoosiers don fisher the legendary don I, fisher
4: i am trying to picture in my mind because don's looked the same for like 45 years So i'm trying to picture <laughs> in my mind Early to mid-70s fish (laughs) getting down on the dance floor to Earth, Wind, and Fire. He's some kind of mean rug, I'm sure, right now. I'm trying to think of back in the day when this song was coming out and picturing fish on the dance floor. I
1: think that he would be just fine. If you go back to the film Semi-Pro with Will Ferrell and the, the nightclub that they were in and doing all that, he would fit fine with that attire during that era. And I'm assuming that's the era in which he thrived, yeah.
4: Dick Pepperfield can't hold Don Fisher's jock as a play-by-play guy. Let's establish that right now.
1: Dick Pepperfield is money, though. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> he is an awesome play-by-play voice, no doubt about and that.
4: clearly, I work with the modern-day version of Will Arnett's character in Bob Lovell. There's there's no doubt about that. Yeah, no doubt. So
1: Greg Gregstraw is with us. I want to start right there with that Colts performance. I They did all they needed to do to get to win. However, I've said this for about the month, past month or so. I, I put expectations on this group, and some people suggest I'm right. Some people suggest that I'm wrong. But I have expectations on this group, much like I have expectations on Saturday. Tough team, tough rookie quarterback, end of the season, winner-take-all, must-win situation, all that in mind. My expectations are the Colts to punch their ticket to the postseason, and then you kind of lean back and see what happens on Sunday. So easier said than done where do you start with trying to control this Texans team on Sunday night here?
4: Comes down to the pass rush. You know, when these two teams played back in week number two, Colts obviously got the early turnover and played from downhill, you know, for the entirety of the game. Uh, you know, they, they, they built a, a huge first half league, kind of hung on at the end with the way Stroud moved the ball up and down the field. Um, so I think the same holds true that has been the case for this team all year long. If the Colts don't turn the football over, there's a very good chance they're going to win a football game. And that's really basic one-on-one football. But, man, it seems to really ring true for this team. That this team, they can follow the script and stick to the game plan. The game plan put together by Shane Steichen seems to be a pretty good one. More Sundays, or in this case, Saturdays than not. What they don't have the room for is the margin of error to overcome mistakes. So to me, it's about primarily what this team can do offensively. Secondarily, now defensively, get to the quarterback. Uh, Again, Stroud's mobile, but not a guy that's going to look to run just to run. Uh, And so if you can get pressure with the front four, uh, which this team has done not every Sunday, but more often than not, if you do that, you've got a chance to win. Other thing that I I think will be massive, and this is not – local homer on radio, but it's almost like this team has flipped in terms of at the beginning of the year, they were better on the road than they were at home. and the last month, it's gone the absolute other direction. I mean, the last two teams, the Colts have have, have had you know double-digit leads on for good chunks of games. The Steelers are a nine-win football team, and the Raiders were still in playoff contention when the Colts played them. So I do think the factor of being at Lucas Oil is very big for this football team on Saturday night as well.
1: Well, you certainly would rather them be here than you would down in Houston. I mean, don't get me wrong on that, too. And this is, uh, you know, this is I, – I say this, too. Uh, it, it just, to me, it, it is kind of the the wonder of what can take place. I, I love the fact you're playing on Saturday night in front of that primetime audience, that that's how those that make those decisions in the NFL – and the television networks, they view the product because it's winner take all. I, you, you just would hate to see them get there and then lay an egg. And Greg, I say that because I've mentioned this team as being on a roller coaster ride, basically for a better part of the season. It's not like that that has stopped. So consistency of putting together back-to-back performances is, to me, what you got to lean on coming up on Saturday because it will be incredibly disappointing if this team is not a part of this playoff picture.
4: It will be, because you and I both know that, that this has been a good year for this football team. No doubt. That anytime you can go from four wins and stock to winning season – I mean, Your win total by five, hopefully six, hopefully more than that. It's good, it's been a good year. But you know what the best part about winning is? There's no yeah buts. If this team doesn't win on Saturday, there's a big old yeah but going into the offseason. You don't have to worry about that. You get to ten wins, you're in, you're a playoff team, and then whatever kind of happens on the back end of that is is gravy. Something I wanted to double back to that you said about. Getting in that primetime window, and obviously, look at this Colts schedule. We go, hey, there's no Thursday night game. Hey, there's no Sunday or Monday night game. Um, but the Colts, I think, have played now a couple of 4 o'clock kicks, one on Sunday, one on Saturday. Go back and double-check this. I think this may be the first time the Texans have not played on a Sunday at noon Central time all year.
1: <laughs> they were here to be. Check it, in James. Texas I'm getting James on it right now. I'm getting James on that right now.
4: Because uh, I, I, I saw something fly by on Twitter, and I think they've literally had the Sunday early window for every <laughs> game this year until this one. So these are two teams, and, and I saw the fans post about, hey, a lot's different, you know, in the 16 weeks until they last played. Think about the fact that these two are playing the last game of the regular season against each other for you know for the second year in a row, and think about how remarkably different the setting for that game was. Two different head coaches, obviously, now. They both took quarterbacks in the first round. Not only has the world changed in four months, the world has changed a heck of a lot in 364 days or maybe 363. These two teams last saw each other at Lucas Oil, at the end of the 2022 season.
1: So, Greg, Grace, is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group line. You mentioned the pass rush being as important. It's right up there to me with, obviously, maintaining the football, not giving the football away. Um because you look at that secondary, the back end of it. I mean, Aiden O'Connell, who couldn't do anything against Kansas City. And I know people are going to say, well, he wasn't challenged with needing to do anything. But I mean, the optics in this case do matter. He was unable to do anything against Kansas City. And he did a lot of things against that Colt secondary. So without question, you up that game. To a level in which, uh, at a level in which we haven't seen in a while, at that quarterback position, even with a rookie in C.J. Stroud, how good does this defensive line? How good do they have to be at getting after him, uh, being uncooperative with him in chasing him down? Because that secondary, let's just face it, that secondary is incredibly rough.
4: Right, and and so this game's been won by the front six of the Colts. Okay, the front four and you feel good about the linebacker position in terms of speed and Franklin, what, and even though know those two guys led you in tackles on, on Sunday, what you saw a slight carryover on was some missed tackles or big plays where guys broke contained. You know, third down conversions, the number wasn't exorbitant to the Colts allowed, but the ones the Raiders got, they were like third and double digits, uh, and, and, and those are absolute, you know, That'll suck the air right out of the building on Saturday night. You cannot do that. So, again, we, we can have the philosophical debate that Lord knows I have after every postgame show about blitzing or not blitzing. This team doesn't blitz, and when they do, they frankly don't do it well. I, I, I can think of, of one time where there was an effective blitz, and it got the ball out of O'Connell's hand quickly, and I am on third and fourth, and they had to punt the ball away. But even when this team does blitz, it doesn't seem to get home. So you know what? Brush your four guys, drop six, seven guys in coverage. Help out the young guys on the back end. Keep them in front of you. And 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 if and if this comes down to a matchup of, of of touchdowns versus field goals, I like the Colts' chances come Saturday night.
1: Yeah, you win on Saturday night, you get to sit back and relax, and then watch what could be what might be on Sunday. That's pretty awesome, Greg.
4: It is, uh, and I'm just hoping that. Saturday night isn't my last post-game show for the season uh, because my, my level of interest on Sunday probably changes yeah. dramatically whether the Colts are playing next weekend or not, John.
1: No, there's no doubt about that, too. And it just, you, you look at, you look at, I like the fact that the Colts, th- this is your situation. This is your situation. You go out and win, and no matter what happens um, on Sunday, you're in. So no matter what happens, you're in, and you can just kind of sit back and relax, see what Jacksonville does, and uh, see what everybody else does around you.
4: There was a lot of counting of fingers and toes. I think I whipped out an abacus at some point in time in Sunday's postgame show, trying to figure out all the different playoff scenarios. I like I I like the ease of scenarios I had to deal with on Saturday night. Either, you know, we're basically having, you know, the, the sports talk version of J M V takeover on Saturday night, or it's a tear in your beer edition, one of the two.
1: Well, I'm going to Friday night. So, I'm yeah, moving it to Friday night. It. I yeah. saw
4: that on social media, John. I follow.
1: I am moving it to Friday night. Uh, I will say this. Um, I put out there because I think Saturday around here is going to be so awesome. I actually put out there to D Wood and to Sean, I said, here's what we can do. I said, I can come in at about noon on Saturday, do some JMV takeover up until about four, and then jump over and do the pregame stuff, and then go over to the game. And then. Hopefully, if the Colts were to win, you're going to have an ecstatic group coming out of there. Well, back to the JMV takeover afterwards, right there. Now that is unique local radio at its finest. You like that idea?
4: That was very organic, John. That that was shot <laughs> down.
1: Yeah, that was it. Wasn't shot down. I just think they would rather me not be spread that tight.
4: I think so. Well, they haven't worried about it in the 15 years you've been working there, John. Why start? Why, you know, why think about it now? So
1: yeah, maybe I. Maybe it was shot down. Maybe they not You like the idea, though, is what I'm saying, right? You like that idea? I, I
4: like creative and different. Um, but as like the only person that ever acted as like your guardian and gatekeeper in that building, <laughs> uh, I find it comical. They were worried about, you know, you being spread through. Nah, that.
1: I, I made I made an excuse for that. I, they probably didn't They probably didn't want me to be on in the afternoon. So, yeah. So now
4: we're back to not caring about John. <laughs> now all around the world again.
1: Yeah. Hey, before I let you go, one quick thing, too. You get Purdue starting up the remainder of the Big Ten schedule tonight. You get Butler back in the Big East schedule tonight. Both teams on the road. IU tomorrow on the road in Nebraska. Indiana state and that loss on michigan state were those four teams in mind some thoughts on what could be tonight what could be tomorrow night or what was back on saturday at the breslin center
4: well as far as saturdays from indiana state it was, it was slightly a missed opportunity but again i think the song likely remains the same yeah um you know indiana state has racked up enough wins and because they've been competitive with the two major conference teams they have played I think there is a scenario if they can get—I I want to say the Valley plays twenty, maybe eighteen. I could be wrong about that. Um, let's do the math real quick. I think the, I think the Valley has seventeen more games to play. I think they can play a full twenty game, uh, not a full it'll be twenty-two, but twenty games of, of lead play. If the Trees can go to like eighteen and two in the Valley, maybe they don't have to win Arch Madness. But more than likely, that's the scenario, and so Saturday may have provided them a, a little more cushion. But just the way of the world, you know, multi-bit leagues outside of the top six or seven are nearly impossible to come by. Indiana has a Indiana State has a slight chance of not having to win Arch Madness, but for the safety of everybody involved and, and sitting there and sweating it out for a week, they're probably better off, you know, with, with, with just win the whole darn thing and that way, you know, John's not sweating it, you know, for seven days. I just yeah, um, I
1: just consider and, that having to be
4: it. Yeah. yeah. Don't
1: even consider so, otherwise. This
4: is, this is you know so similar to the last couple of years, where but especially now, they are everybody's Super Bowl. And so you are going to get everyone's best effort on the road. Teams will not struggle to find motivation to fight to play you. But, again, for the most part, Purdue's kind of dealt with that the last couple of years. So Maryland's a place that seemingly has given them fits. And I know this is an an important week with Illinois coming right down the pike uh, for Purdue. Uh, But, um, you know, again, we'll see the growing level of maturity for Purdue with a road test in league play, knowing that's what got them the last time. Uh, The only time they've been tripped up so far this year was the loss to Northwestern. And as far as Indiana and Butler are concerned, I, I think they're really in the same boat. It is simply about stacking wins because they've done enough in the non-conference and they play in such leagues where I think if they're a couple of games above 500 in their league, they're going to be going to the postseason. So I think Indiana and Butler's story, John, literally mirror each other at this point. Hey,
1: I, I saw this from Rick Simler. Did you see the story regarding Sherard?
4: I have not, no.
1: Um, This is from Rick Simler um, over at Channel 10, WTHI in Terre Haute. Multiple sources close to the situation inform Sports 10 that Indiana State Athletic Director Sherrod Klinkscales is out as ISU AD. Effective December the 31st, Angie Lansing will serve as interim ISU Athletic Director.
4: Hmm. I have, It's the first I have heard of that. I, and I, I, will, just, uh, I
1: just saw it just now, too, come across my I'll desk.
4: Start, I'll start uh, hitting up my source and see what I can find out. Yeah, buddy. I appreciate you more than you know, man. We'll talk
1: later on this week. I'll call you Friday night. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always
0: took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.